Hello and welcome to the Old Time Radio Hour. Happy Valentine's Day. I'm your host, Justine Ward, and each week we bring you a classic show from Radio's Golden Age. This week we have two shows celebrating romance and love. The first is from a biography of the famous author Nathaniel Hawthorne by Cavalcade of America, a high-quality show presented by DuPont Chemicals to burnish its reputation. Some of the greatest actors of the era appeared on the show, and I think you will enjoy this romantic comedy adaptation of Nathaniel Hawthorne's Courtship. This is Cavalcade of America, a Valentine for Sophia. First broadcast, February 14, 1949, on NBC. The Cavalcade of America. Starring Glenn Ford as Nathaniel Hawthorne in A Valentine for Sophia, presented by the DuPont Company, makers of better things for better living through chemistry. Good evening. This is Bill Hamilton. Among DuPont's better things for better living through chemistry are DuPont Duco and DuPont Dulux finishes. Today, many manufacturers of furniture or kitchen equipment help you to buy with your eyes open. They put a little tag on new furniture, refrigerators, or washing machines. This tag assures you that the brand new look will stay that way for a long time, thanks to DuPont Duco or Dulux finishes. It also tells you how to clean and care for these finishes so they will stay better looking longer. So the next time you shop for furniture or kitchen equipment, look for the tag that says DuPont Duco or DuPont Dulux. Both of these durable finishes are among DuPont's better things for better living through chemistry. With Glenn Ford as Nathaniel Hawthorne, here is a valentine for Sophia. I have written many stories during my lifetime, but to me, the most important is the one I never wrote, the story of my own romance. As the storytellers say, once upon a time, I was walking in the woods near my home in Salem, Massachusetts, with a very, very lovely young lady, Miss Sophia Peabody. It was a winter day in 1839. Well, there's nothing like a brisk walk on a cold day to stir up the blood. Yes, I, I suppose that's true. Oh, the woods are breathtaking this time of year, aren't they? Breathtaking is the word. Yeah. I declare, Nathaniel Hawthorne, you walk more like a, a kangaroo than a man. Huh? Wait for me. Oh, I'm, I'm sorry. I'm sorry, darling. I get so carried away with being, oh, with being outdoors on a day like this and being with you. <laughs> I forget. It's all right, I wouldn't have you any other way. Come over here, Sophie, under this tree. All right, now rest a minute. All right. Let's sit on this log here. (sighs) Beginning to snow again. Uh Oh, but look. Look, we've got a roof over our heads. Yes. If we only had a fireplace with a fire in it. It'd be our house. On winter afternoons like this, we 
Look out at the snow. Here. Here are my coats around your shoulders. The log's our sofa. Mr. and Mrs. Nathaniel Hawthorne at home. Shall I fetch your pipe and slippers, my husband? Oh, no. Oh, my, no. Don't trouble, my dear wife. One of our six sturdy sons will fetch them for me. <laughs> now, how would you like to have your tea? Piping hot or, oh, perhaps you'd like to have it saucered a little bit, eh? <laughs> What's wrong? Oh, Nathaniel. What? Ought we to dream this way? Well, why not? Oh, we'll make it come true someday. Maybe, maybe even sooner than someday. Is that what you want? Oh, listen, Sophia. I've got some stories published and there'll be others. I want to take care of you. I want to watch over you, be with you when those, all oh, those terrible headaches of yours comes on. I, I don't seem to have them when I'm with you, like today. Uh-huh, uh-huh. It's quite plain, my dear. You're in love. Are you, Nathaniel? Does, does this let you know it? Yes, yes. Then always, no matter what happens to the world or to us, my kiss will always let you know, just as it does now. I came home that afternoon with wings attached to my winter boots, and as I entered the house, my sister Elizabeth was practicing at the harp. Oh, Liz, Liz, I've got wonderful news. Don't interrupt me, please, Nathaniel. This is such a difficult piece to master. Well, really. How can I concentrate with you standing there grinning at oh, me? Oh, she loves me, Liz. She loves me. I, I beg your pardon. Who loves you? Oh, Sophia, of course. Uh, Sophia? Oh, I, I see. Yes, I suppose you're dedicating that story to her would turn her head. None of the other young men in town could have thought of a Valentine half so romantic. Oh, Liz, what's the matter? Oh, nothing, nothing. Except I'm the one who's helped you all these years, understood what you were striving for in your writing. I, I realize I'm just your sister, and you'd never think of dedicating anything to me. Oh, now, please, please don't take it that way, Liz. I... Now, look, I wanted to give Sophia a valentine. I didn't have the money to buy her a gift, so I... So now she's told you she loves you. Uh, yes, and I'm the happiest man from here to China and back. We're going to be married, Liz. Married? Yes, is that so startling? I mean, it is the usual procedure when a man falls in love. Uh, yes, of course. Oh, congratulations, dear. And I, I must call on sweet little Sophia... Uh, when do you suppose I might go and be sure she isn't suffering for one of her terrible headaches? Well, her sister's having people in tomorrow night. That'll be time enough. I, um, I suppose you set the date for the wedding. I know. Why, what difference does it make? Oh, a great deal, I should think. When a man has no money to support his ailing bride, he must find some way to earn it. That's all right. We'll manage. And then, of course, there's no use expecting her to be of any help around the house. What are you trying to do to me, Liz? Uh, nothing, nothing. I'm... I'm only being practical. You've lived here all these years with your mother and me to look after you. You've no need to think of anything but your writing. And it's only sensible to consider what it will mean to marry an invalid. After all, your stories haven't brought you much money yet. Oh, crash. What do you mean, crash? Oh, you have a wonderful way, Liz, of, of crashing a man's air castles down around his ears. Uh, because you're a dreamer, as a writer of stories must be. You could go on, just as you've always have. Things could be as they've always oh, been. Oh, no, Liz. Today's different from yesterday. This afternoon's wonderfully different from this morning. I've, I've fallen in love. I'm going to marry Sophia and Liz. Both of us might as well face it. Uh -huh. 
of you to come by for tea this evening, Miss Hawthorne. You, you know my sister Elizabeth Peabody, of course. Of course. Yes, it's nice to see you again. It's a little confusing, too, Elizabeth. And Nathaniel calls me Liz. Which I think she secretly hates. Don't you, Liz? <laughs> Not at all, dear. You've called me that ever since we were children. <laughs> well, uh, do come into the parlor. Yes, over here by the fire. <laughs> Thank you. I understand you're starting a bookshop in Boston, Miss Peabody. Oh, not only that, she's promised to sell only books by Nathaniel Hawthorne. <laughs> I wish that were possible. It will be someday when he's written hundreds of books. In the meantime, there is something I'd like to talk over with you, Nathaniel. An idea I have about attracting more buyers for your twice-told tale. Miss Peabody, I'm in favor of it already. Whatever it is. <laughs> then will you all excuse us for a few moments? Oh, it won't be long. Let's go into the library, Nathaniel. Yes, all right. Oh, isn't my sister wonderful? She'd do anything to help Nathaniel. I suppose we're all prejudiced where Nathaniel is concerned. I don't think it's prejudice. He's going to be a great author. Do you really believe that, Sophia? Of course. Don't you? Well, naturally, if he isn't turned away from it by worry and nagging little troubles. Oh, has he told you? He'll have a wife to worry for him to keep those troubles away from him. So I've heard. My felicitations, dear. Thank you. I assume you've been feeling better recently. Yes, as a matter of fact, I have. You naturally wouldn't wish your illness to be a burden. A burden? Well, I... I... I'm told you've tried a great many remedies. Now, you expect the trouble to leave you permanently, miraculously, so you can be married, is that it? Well, it just seemed perfectly right and natural that we should fall in love and want to be married. Oh, Sophia, forgive me. You must think me just a meddling busybody. But believe me, I know my brother and how sensitive he is. Why, even when I'm not feeling well, he gets frightfully upset. Oh, I, 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 I don't know what to say. I, I hadn't thought of it in that light before. Well, Sophia, Liz, we have it all planned. Miss Peabody is going to just... Well, what's the matter, darling? Nothing. Well, there's something wrong. No, it's nothing. Oh, you're pale all of a sudden. Tell me. Tell no, me. no, leave me alone. It's Sophie. I don't want to talk about it. I'm going upstairs. Please go on with the party, everyone, and forgive me, but... I just have to be alone for a little oh, while. Uh, don't, Nathaniel. She's right. We'd better leave her strictly alone. Every day for a week after that, I called at Sophia's home. Each time I was told that she was growing worse. And then all at once, the pain seemed to leave her completely, and I was allowed to see her for a few minutes. She lay on the sofa in the parlor, exhausted, pale, and utterly beautiful. Hello. Hello, little Sophie. Hello, Nathaniel. It went away all of a sudden, just like that? Yes. Almost as soon as I'd reached my decision. What decision? Nathaniel, I'm not going to marry you until I know I'm well. What? If... If God intends us to be together, he, he will let me be cured. If not, it'll be a sign that it is not best. Oh, but, but we could wait forever, darling, while you waited to see if, a, if, a, if another attack was coming on. I can't let myself spoil your life. What you do with it is far too important. What I have to do is earn some money. And if it means our getting married sooner, I'll go out and I'll, I'll dig holes in the Erie Canal. Whatever happens, you must not stop writing. Oh, Sophia, you're going to be stubborn and refuse to marry me. Only until I know I'm well. And then, only if you still have me. All right, then I'm going to be stubborn, too. Until I've earned enough to marry you, I shall not write another word. 
How little I knew about the world of work and commerce in those days of my youth. I thought that since, well, since I was known in Salem, I could go anywhere in the town and begin right away to make the, <laughs> the fortune that would transform our lives. I thought, too, that my sister would oppose me. Instead, she, well, she seemed to sympathize with my failure to find work, and unknown to me, she paid a quiet visit to Sophia's sister. I'm convinced, Miss Peabody, we've got to do something for Nathaniel and Sophia. Yes, I agree, but what can we do? I can't very well help Nathaniel sell stories he hasn't written. I don't mean that. Like you, I want him to be happy, and there's no reason why he can't find some other work that would solve all this, even if he has to be away from Salem. You haven't talked to him about going away. Oh, no, 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 no. But I, I was thinking that since you know so many people in Boston, perhaps you might know of some position he could fill. Well, I, I do know a collector of the port at Boston, Mr. George Bancroft. Perhaps there's a clerkship open at the Custom House. It wouldn't be easy. He wouldn't have much time to visit Sophia here in Salem, then, would he? I, I mean, if your friend could get in the position. No, I'm afraid not. Oh, too bad. Well, I suppose it's my duty, however, to tell Nathaniel about the possibility of it, since he's so determined to take absolutely anything. I'll speak to Mr. Bancroft, if you like, though I still don't approve of Nathaniel doing it. My dear, neither do I. And especially for poor dear Sophia's sake. But... He wants a position, and what can you do with a man as stubborn as Nathaniel? And so it was that Miss Elizabeth Peabody, in all innocence and out of the goodness of her heart, helped me obtain a position at the Custom House in Boston, where my duty was to measure salt and coal. And though Boston was not a great distance from Salem, I might have been a whole universe away from the only girl I ever loved. Listening to A Valentine for Sophia, starring Glenn Ford as Nathaniel Hawthorne on The Cavalcade of America, presented by the DuPont Company, makers of better things for better living through chemistry. Nathaniel Hawthorne continues the story he never wrote himself, the story of his own romance. The wharves of Boston Harbor were a new and absorbing world to me. Only at night in my solitary room was there time to think of the past. Of Sophia, who would not marry me until a cure for her illness was found. And each night during the long months of my exile, I wrote her a letter. There's a letter from Nathaniel every day, Liz. It's almost as if he were writing me a book, a, a story, hour by hour. Oh, how nice. Uh, where do you suppose my brother finds the time? I don't know. He works so hard. Listen, this came this morning. He says, and then my angel. Are you sure you want to read his letter to me, Sophia? Why, of course. This is nothing he'd want to hide from you. It's generous of you, dear. He says, 
And then, my angel, I find I'm learning something new and increasingly wondrous in the activity of the war. There's a kind of working democracy here where America shows her face to the world, and may it ever be that. The sailors, the busy merchants, the multicolored crowds, all mingled in the daily pursuit of a guaranteed free opportunity. I've emerged from my silent study to discover people. And years hence, the experience my heart is acquiring now will flow out in truth and wisdom. Oh, Liz, don't you see what that means? He is a dreamer still. It means that, that this time I thought was wasted isn't wasted after all. He's gathering experience. He'll write it all someday. Yes, that's very true. He may yet. Uh, the fire, you seem a little stronger somehow. Oh, when a ladder like this one arrives from Nathaniel, I, I think I draw strength from the very ink and paper he's used. Such a pity, though, to go on and on, trying one treatment after another and never to find relief. I will go on and on until I do. And if you don't... I mustn't think of that. Oh, but you must. He will write it all some day, you say. But when will that some day be if through the years a leech, which he calls loyalty or love, is drawing on his inspiration, his vitality? That's not true. You can see for yourself in his letters that's not true. His letters to me are quite different, Sophia. Well, naturally, he, he'd write different letters to his sister than he would to me. Oh, but don't forget I know him. I worked with him, looked after him. I've been close to him all his life. I know his mood. This problem will weigh upon him until all the creative power has gone out of him. I can't let that happen. No, no, of course you can't. You're too sensible. But sometimes a woman, if she keeps her distance, can observe an artist as he never sees himself. My brother is no ordinary man. He will never marry, never so debase himself. He is an ideal man. He pursues his own path, and any deviation is a lessening of his artistry. Oh, no, he loves me. Isn't it better to hurt him now before it's too late? Isn't it? Yes, I... I suppose you're right. You always are. A letter came to me from Sophia. I'll never forget the sudden blackness of the day, as if the sun had been clouded over by a black robe. I left the noisy docks, caring nothing for my work anymore, and I walked the streets of Boston. Oh, it may have been a few minutes, it may have been a few hours, but suddenly I found myself in front of a bookshop. It was the one owned by Elizabeth Peabody, Sophia's sister. Why hadn't I thought of coming here before? I went inside and... Oh, I'm so glad to see you. Hello, Miss Peabody. Why haven't you dropped in before this for a minute at least? I don't know, Miss Peabody. I haven't any excuse. Well, never mind now. There's someone here I think you ought to meet. He's a young philosopher, a poet. Mr. Emerson thinks very highly of him. Come along. I know he'll want to meet you. No, I... Wait, I'd rather not see anyone right now. All right. I understand. Tell me, did... Did Sophia write you too? Yes. Could she mean what she said? I'm afraid Sophia always means what she says. Yes, I, I can believe that. Well, I, well, you have a fine collection of books, Miss Peabody. Thank you. I, I hope to have more one day with Nathaniel Hawthorne's name on the title page. Oh, no, no. These, the books on your shelves now are the ones I might have written. I don't like to hear that kind of talk. Well, I beg your pardon. Oh, this is the gentleman I wanted you to meet. 
Nathaniel Hawthorne, this is Mr. Henry Thoreau. How do you do? You're Nathaniel Hawthorne, saying these books are the ones you might have written. May I say, I'd rather read your next book than any of these here. Thank you, but there isn't going to be any next book. No? Well, I'm sorry to hear that. It'll mean a great loss to the world. <laughs> That's a funny one. Mr. Hawthorne, I could understand an old man whose life has perhaps been lived unworthily, looking back and speaking bitterly as you do, but for a young man deliberately to deny his future... And if his future is only a dream that vanishes when he wakes... He must find it again, pursue it, advance confidently in its direction. If one endeavors to live the life which he has imagined, my friend, he will meet with a success unimagined in common hours. If you built castles in the air... They crash down around your ears. Because you forced them to earth. The air is where they should be. It is for you to put the foundations under the foundation. Yes. Faith in your own strength. In what you have to give to the world. Children aren't born with fear of the future. And yet children who play life discern its true law more clearly than men who fail to live it worthily. In other words, you'd have me believing in... In fairy tales? In, in miracles again? I've read your stories, Mr. Hawthorne. I've come to know you through what you've written. Perhaps, in your heart, you've never stopped believing. Yes. Yes, that's true. That's true, Thoreau. Miss Peabody, forgive me, but there's a stage leaving for Salem in 20 minutes, and I want to be on it. Salem, Nathaniel? Yes, there's someone there who's afraid, tragically afraid. Now she's going to learn to believe in, in miracles again, too. I was in Salem by means of the same wings I'd had on my boots that long ago, winter afternoon. I found Sophia in the parlor of her house, and with her was my sister. Nathaniel! Why... What are you doing here? Well, I might ask you the same thing, Liz. But uh, when did you come back? This afternoon. Well, well, Nathaniel, it'll, it'll be like old times having you home again. We'll work on your stories. I'll, I'll set your tea for you. It would be very nice... Put on your to... coat, Sophie. We're going for a walk. A walk? Oh, no, I can't. Oh, I can't you see the poor girl is suffering from a chill, even in a warm house? No. You say so, Liz, but I don't notice it. Are you suffering from a chill, Sophie? Not really, but... But you are, Liz. You're suffering from a chill that has crept into your heart. You're the sick one here, not Sophia. How can you talk like that? Seeing you here, I begin to, re I begin to remember things that you've said, things you've written, things Sophia has written. They've all had the same pattern. Now I begin to realize what you've been doing. Well, it's all over. Oh, I was only thinking of your work, oh, of your future. Then you admit it. All right, go on, admit it. You've done your best to ruin both our lives. I was only trying to save you. That's all I cared about. I, I never wanted you to be an ordinary man. I, I wanted you to be great. I wanted you to be above the world. With Sophia, perhaps I will be, Liz. I, I only wanted to save you. I, I don't know. I don't know. Oh, my poor, poor unhappy Liz. Come on, darling. You and I are going for a walk. Am I going uh, 
a little too fast for you, little Sophie? <laughs> no. I've been looking around here. I've been looking for that tree that we built a... Remember we built a home one afternoon? Oh, yes. Well, now, let's see. It's... Is it that one? What, where? Oh, it is, Miss Anya. Yes. Look, look, yes. right over there. Come on, come on. Oh, it's the very same log, yes. Miss Anya. Very same. Well, here we are. <laughs> Say, you know, I uh, talked to Thoreau in Boston. Oh? Or rather, I mean, he talked to me. Mm -hmm. He said, children who play life discern its true law more clearly than men who fail to live it worthily. Well, you know, that's what we were doing that afternoon when we sat here together and looked at the snow through an imaginary window. Nathaniel? Yes? Shall we look through it ever again? Oh, we are right now. Uh-huh. Listen, darling, do you believe I'll become a writer who's worth anything at all? Oh, I've... I've always believed that. No, you see, I've learned a great deal about this country at the Customs House, Sophie. About the people of America working as they choose, building for the future as they choose. Yes. That's the story I'll write. Yes, and I'll write it well. I know you will. Then, if you believe in me, you must believe in us. If your faith in our love is strong enough, I know you will never be ill again. Oh, my darling, don't you remember? Whenever we've been together, loving each other like this, you've been, you've been well and happy. Yes, Nathaniel. Yes, it's true. Just like... Just like in a story. Oh, it is a story. But one I'll never write. No? Oh, no. No, little Sophie. Because we'll be living it. the storytellers say it came to pass. Sophie and I were married, and our love, it did work a miracle. Her illness vanished forever, and as in all stories that begin with once upon a time, we lived happily ever after. speaking for DuPont. This year, the DuPont Company has made available to each of ten universities the sum of $10,000 for unrestricted use in the field of fundamental chemical research. These awards, known as grants and aid, must be used for chemical research, which has no immediate commercial goal. And the results of this research are to be freely available for publication. These grants and aid are designed to contribute to the flow of fundamental knowledge in science. For upon this knowledge depends much of the future industrial development of our country and the standard of living of American people. Today, there is little work being done in European universities in fundamental research, and even American universities, to some extent, have found it necessary to undertake applied research for a fee at the expense of fundamental research, which they are so well equipped to carry forward. The DuPont Company believes that industry can, both for its own and for the national interest, help our universities to increase the stockpiling of basic knowledge. The DuPont Company is also continuing the plan it has followed for some 30 years of awarding fellowships to postgraduate students of science. This year, there will be 77 postgraduate and postdoctoral fellowships in chemistry, physics, 
Metallurgy and Engineering at 47 universities. The students and their research subjects will be selected by university authorities. The individuals who receive these fellowships will be under no obligation to the DuPont Company. Each postgraduate student selected will receive $1,200 if single and $1,800 if married, in addition to which there will be an award of $1,000 to the university. Each postdoctoral award provides $3,000, in addition to which the university receives $1,500. We of the DuPont Company well know that it is the accumulation of knowledge flowing from the laboratories of universities and industry that contributes to the welfare of people everywhere. Within our own organization, it is this ever-growing body of knowledge which enables us to improve old products and develop new ones, justifying our pledge of better things for better living through chemistry. Tonight's cavalcade play, A Valentine for Sophia, was written by Virginia Radcliffe, was based on the book Nathaniel Hawthorne by Randall Stewart, published by the Yale University Press. Music was composed by Arden Cornwell, conducted by Donald Bryan. Sophia was played by Alice Reinhardt. Liz was Muriel Kirkman. Next Monday, the eve of Washington's birthday, we will bring you an original radio play, The Unheroic Hero, an exciting story of a young man whose whole life was changed because of a dramatic meeting with George Washington. Our star will be the popular favorite of the screen, Douglas Fairbanks. And the following week, Rosalind Russell. Our star, Glenn Ford, who appeared on Cavalcade tonight as Nathaniel Hawthorne, is currently starring in the Columbia picture, Undercover Man. This is Ted Pearson speaking. Cavalcade of America is directed by Jack Zoller and comes to you each week from the stage of the Longacre Theater on Broadway in New York and is presented by the DuPont Company of Wilmington, Delaware. <laughs> This is NBC, the national broadcasting company. You are listening to the Old Time Radio Hour with your host, Justine Ward. We're going to run over our usual hour presentation this week to give you a 45-minute version of Cinderella's story with a twist from the Railroad Hour. Victor Herbert's 1913 musical, Sweethearts, had a very successful revival on Broadway in 1947. And this is a Railroad Hour adaptation with lots of songs and a plot that goes by very quickly. It's a delightful Valentine's Day inspiration with all Herbert's sweet songs. Enjoy the Railroad Hour, Sweethearts. First broadcast February 14, 1949 on ABC. Ladies and gentlemen, the Railroad Hour. Here comes our star-studded show train. Tonight, the Association of American Railroads presents a memorable musical hit, Victor Herbert's Sweethearts, starring Jane Powell, Walter O'Keefe, and your host, Gordon McRae. Our choir is under the direction of Norman Luboff, and our music is arranged and conducted by Carmen Dragon. Yes, tonight another great musical success is brought to you by the American Railroads. The same railroads that also bring you most of the food you eat, the clothes you wear, the fuel you burn, and all the other things you use in your daily life. And now, here is Gordon McRae. 
Thank you and good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Well, along with all the Valentines you may have received today, you can add one more. For the Association of American Railroads. It's a great Broadway show with a great musical by Victor Herbert. And we call it Sweethearts. If you've ever been in love, we're sure you'll enjoy tonight's show. For musical comedies are like fairy tales that everybody wishes could come true. The prince is always handsomer than any movie star, and the princess is just as lovely as, well, even Jane Powell, if that's possible. Jane's with us tonight in the role of Sylvia, and we have one of the favorite comics of Broadway and radio, Mr. Walter O'Keefe. He plays Mikel in Sweethearts, I'll be Franz, and Verna Felton is the owner of the Laundry of the White Geese, just about the most romantic laundry that ever ripped a button off a shirt. shirt like this one. Oh, don't iron that shirt. Not yet. Well, why not, Sylvia? Well, uh, that shirt belongs to Franz. And if we get his laundry all ready for him, then he won't be in again for a whole week. Oh, oh I think our little Sylvia's got a crush on a certain officer named Franz. Well, I, I think he's very nice. Are you in love with him or his uniform? I'm in love with his uniform when he's in it. And when he's marching with his company, oh, yes, oh. here they come now. White geese, is my laundry ready? Name, please. Oh, come on, Sylvia. You know my name by this time. I've been coming in to get my laundry three times a day, just so I can talk to you. Rule number two, don't flirt with the customers. What's rule number one? Don't let the customers flirt with you. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sorry, Franz. Your laundry isn't ready yet. Good. I'll wait. But it might not be ready until tomorrow. Well, that's even better. I'm used to waiting for things. And by the way, how long do you think I'll have to wait for you to fall in love with me? Well, it well it takes longer to fall in love than when it does to start your car. Oh, sweetie, you're wrong. You can fall in love as fast as you can scorch a shirt. Only this time, I'm the shirt. When love would have stood as my master, when love would have led me a pace, my heart never be any faster, and I only laughed in his face. 
forest of flowers Girls all very charming to see Fairest of bowers, still you find me happily free for every lover must meet his fate so for the No buts. I'll settle for a maybe. All right, maybe. For every lover must meet her fate. So far the my heart will wait as all Get back to work. And don't let me catch you chit-chatting with the uniform. Yes, Mother. My dear madam, what do you have against the uniform? Nothing, except I married one. (laughs) A handsome, dashing chap who won your girlish heart, no doubt. Not so handsome. Here, I have his picture in this locket. Take a look if you can stand it. (laughs) Oh, my goodness. This is your husband? Was, thank goodness. What happened to him? He was a soldier of fortune, with very little fortune. And he ran off and left me with seven daughters, the bum. Now, go away, go away. I've got work to do. Okay, if that's the way you feel about it. (laughs) I beg your pardon, sir. Can you direct me to the laundry of the white ghosts? Geese. Geese. Goose. It all comes out in the wash. I just want... Why, your highness... Nobody around here knows I'm the Crown Prince of Zelania. Mikkel! Shh! Nobody around here knows I'm the Prime Minister of Zelania. I'm in disguise. As what? As the Prime Minister of Zelania. <laughs> what kind of a disguise is that? Look, I ask you, what Prime Minister would be dumb enough to disguise himself as a Prime Minister? It's foolproof. Mikkel, what are you doing here in Belgium? I lost control of the government. But I heard you'd regain control. That was yesterday. <laughs> Oh, Mikkel, all these revolutions, 
My poor native land. You've got no idea how poor it is. Don't forget I was also Secretary of the Treasury. <laughs> Your Highness, how would you like to be restored to the throne? Oh, Mikel, to see my native country again. Oh. The rolling hills, the rippling streams. Prince. The magnificent landscape. Prince, chum, tourists, oh. we can kid, but you and I, we've been to Zelania. <laughs> Let's face it, it's a gopher hole. <laughs> But, Your Highness, if you say the word, I can put you back on the throne of Zelania. Like that. Are you sure my people want me? We'll have an election, and I'll count the votes myself. <laughs> Mikel, I won't have anything to do with your crooked plans. Look, Sam, you aren't the only heir to the throne of Zelania. <laughs> but the other royal house died out. I wouldn't be too sure, laddie. When the monarchy was overthrown by the first revolution, I slipped out of the country with a babe. Well, a little babe, a little babe, only a few months old. And I left her right here beside this laundry 20 years ago. Now, if there's a pretty young girl in here in her early 20s... Oh, brother, have you got a surprise coming? What do you mean? We'll go out in the laundry, find out for yourself. All right, I will. Is there a pretty girl in here in her early 20s? Oh, yes, yes, indeed. I never had astigmatism so good. Feel like the janitor in the YWCA. Tell me, do you all belong to one family? Why, why, yes. They call us little white geese. Well, quack, quack. <laughs> Look, is, uh, is one of you an adopted daughter? Yes, but Mother never told us which one was adopted. Well, I guess I'll have to hang around here until I find out. Girls... <laughs> Look, please keep your hands out of my hair. Oh, the television will be better, you know. The torture I go through for Zelania. None of you girls are married, I hope. Oh, no, we can't get married because we wear wooden shoes. Naturally, wooden shoes. Can't get married. Can't get married, wooden shoes. There must be something my father didn't tell me. <laughs> I guess you don't know the legend of Jeanette and her wooden shoes. Enlighten me, child. I'm listening all over. One lively Jeanette, a sprightly coquette, had plenty of suitors, had only to choose. And being a Dutch girl, she wore wooden shoes. When she stole out at night, all the town knew the news. When they heard the pit-patter of her wooden shoes. Then the lads half asleep, oh, how jealous they get. And they'd say to themselves, who is out with Jeanette? Jeanette, who is out with Jeanette? cop cop kid needed was a pair of sneakers. Oh, and she really got into trouble when she eloped with the prince. Oh? It was in the middle of winter. Yes, yes. And the king sent out his guards to bring back the two lovers. Don't tell me. I can see it coming. <laughs> flip, flop, flop, flip, flop, flop, there in the snow. Her feet so petite showed them which way to go. With her pitter patter patter clip, clop, clop, they found a clue. Flip, and you 
It's enough to make a girl spend the rest of her life barefooted. Iron! Do you hear me? Iron! Oh, oh, Mother's coming. We'll have to get back to work. Well, hide me someplace. Where can I hide? Quick, jump in this hamper of dirty clothes. Don't forget I'm in here. And when you're sorting this, remember, I'm the one without the laundry marks. Quick, quick, get in here. Here comes Mama. Now, that's right, girls. Iron. Yes, yes Mama. Mama. Didn't I hear a man's voice in here? Oh, no, Mama. That clothes hamper looks a little bulgy. Is anybody hiding in that clothes hamper? Nobody in here except us bloomers. <laughs> well, that's good. Get to work, girls. Iron, iron. Girls... Girls, do you know who I think that man is in the clothes hamper? Who? Who? Who do you think it is? Papa. <gasps> Papa? Well, what makes you think so? Well, it must be Papa. Why else would he want to hide from Mama? And besides, besides, he looks just like the picture in Mama's locket. Hey, Sylvia. Are you back again, friends? Your laundry isn't ready yet. Well, I'm looking for something you can't wrap up in a package and tie with a string. Well, what's that? As if I didn't know. It's something you can never find by looking for it. And all of a sudden, you glance around, and there it is. Right out of your own back window. You're right, friends. If you ask when love is found, the sort of love that's found and true, I will bid you look around. It may be very near to you. Sometimes love is very trying, but you really must not mind it. If it comes not to your sighing, there is always one place you can find it. Seek the dwelling of two happy sweethearts. You Make love their very own Sweethearts can live on love alone Open the gates to Sunshine fell in the shade. 
In his inaugural address on January 20th, President Truman spoke of the value to the peoples of the world of what he described as America's imponderable resources in technical knowledge. Agreeing with what the president said and commenting upon it, the New York Times cited a tremendous upsurge of wartime production in America as an example of what has been accomplished by this know-how of our people. But, the Times went on to say, and I quote, It did not require war to demonstrate American supremacy in the field of applied technology and mechanical skill. A classic example is furnished by comparing the development of railroading in this country with that of other nations. Such a comparison reveals that American railroads excel in virtually every respect, ranging from wages paid to efficiency of operation and freedom from accidents. End of quotation. Continuing its comment, the Times emphasized what it called, and again I quote, the fundamental reason for our superiority in this sphere. For it is no accident of history or geography. It reflects the fact that where the railroads of most countries are state-owned and managed, ours are privately owned and operate in competition not only among themselves, but with other forms of transportation. End of quotation. The efficiency of which the New York Times spoke reached a record high on American railroads in 1948. To mention just one example... In the year just closed, the average freight train turned out more transportation service per hour. That is, it hauled more tons of freight more miles than ever before. And that record is typical of the year's performance of what the Times rightly calls the most efficient railroads in the world. We're ready for the second act of Victor Herbert's Sweetheart, starring Jane Powell, Walter O'Keefe, and your Railroad Hour host, Gordon McRae. Are you still in there? Are you still in the clothes hamper? Are you all right? I didn't mind hiding in there, but you didn't have to leave the lid down all through the commercial. You do? Well, quick, tell me. Welcome home, Papa. Papa? Now, there's no use trying to deny it. We all knew you were our father. I'm the father of seven girls? Yes. Cantor will never speak to me. (laughs) Well, gooselings, or I should say geeselings, why don't you, uh... Why don't you all line up and each one give Papa a big hug and a squeeze to welcome him home? Ah, kiss me, my little daffodil. Welcome home, Papa. Oh, Daddy. Now bust me, my little buttercup. Now you, my little daisy. Is there a dandelion in the house? Hooray for dandelion. Hey. Hey, this is a fine way to run a laundry. When you figure out a better way, let me know. Mm. 
How does a customer get some service around here? This kind of service we don't waste on the customers. Mm. Me, Cal, what's going on here? Girls, girls, go wash clothes. Papa has to explain to the gentleman. Papa? Sure, Papa. You see, I had to figure out a way to stick around here. I've got to find out which one of these daughters is an heir to the throne of Zelania. Which one do you think it is? The prettiest one, naturally. Well, how are you going to tell which one's the prettiest, Mikel? You know, powder and paint makes a girl what she ain't. Who's complaining? (laughs) It doesn't matter what is done by nature for a pretty one. She's never satisfied till she her hand has tried. A touch of rouge applied with skill will make her more like nature still. Her cheeks a shell like pink are all her own, we think. And as this goddess goes her way, she chuckles as she hears us say, She's pretty as a picture, blooming as a rose, grace in every movement, charm in every pose. Ha, ha, a clever little woman, we all understand that nature cannot make you what you can do by hand. My friends, don't you think we girls are as pretty as we look? Why, you're as pretty as a picture. But did you ever see a picture without any paint? Ah, I see. You're catching up to our secrets. <laughs> Though nature draws the picture true, a girl must add a line or two. She steals the color scheme of peaches mixed with cream. When nature's done the best she could, the eyebrows arched or the eyebrows should. And this Sylvia, is my laundry ready yet? Oh, don't be silly. Come back later. Well, you bet I will, Mikel. And by the way, Daddy, mm-hmm. while you're bouncing back and forth between the buttercups and the daisies, don't be too fatherly with this forket. All right, wet wash, go hang yourself up to dry. <laughs> I'll remember, Mikel. No tricks. Ah. Uh... Oh, you gotta be nicer to him, Papa. Why? You're not in love with him, are you? 
Well, I, I might be. You don't act very lovey-dovey. Oh, you must never do that. Uh-huh. Remember, if you want to catch a husband, you've got to be very cold to him until he proposes. I'll remember that if I'm ever a girl. <laughs> uh, Papa, tell me, where have you been all these years? I have been in and out of Zelania. Zelania? What's that? It's a little country here in Europe. Don't uh, you know where it is? No. How do you find it? Well, it's right there on the map as big as life. Well, not quite as big as life. It's more the size of Newsweek. Oh. <laughs> well, it must be, a, must be a very, very small place. It is so small, dear. Look, I'll tell you. Whenever the prince went out back of the palace to wash his hands, he had to clear customs. <laughs> oh, Poppy, you're so clever. When you come right down to it, you know I am. <laughs> My wit is so keen and so clever my ways that I am much sought as a guest. The things that I say keep me laughing for days. Ha! Ha! For instance, here's one of my best. This one is going to assassinate you. I went to the circus one day with a crowd, and I sat me outside in the fence. When asked why I did so, I said right out loud, because the heat in the tents is intense. Exceedingly amusing. I thought so. Oh, I don't know how I do it, but I do. I don't know how I've said it when it's said. As a melancholia killer, I'm a genuine Joe Miller. I really knock him dead. I don't know how I say the things I say. I don't know how I've said them when they're said. I only am aware that all the people stare and ardently declare, what ahead? What ahead? What ahead? I'm a panic. You're a panic, all right. What's the idea of turning up after all these years? Sylvia, is this big laundry bag, Mama? Oh, well, don't you recognize Of her? course, Mama. I'm home. Kiss me. I'd rather have a nerve killed. <laughs> Mama, you're not a widow any longer. No, I knew it was too good to last. Well, if you expect me to support you, you've got to do some work. Lift that laundry bag. Tote that bale of dirty clothes. Yes, Snookums. And iron. Everybody iron! <laughs> Hello. Guess what I want. Your laundry isn't ready yet. As a matter of fact, it is. Oh, heck. Here it is, friends. Thanks, Sylvia. Hey, just a minute. I brought in four handkerchiefs and a shirt, and now there are five handkerchiefs. Look again. One of those handkerchiefs has a sleeve. <laughs> now, get out of here. We've got work to do, Your Highness. Your Highness? I mean... He means... A... What do you mean? Franz, I thought you were just an ordinary soldier. Why would he call you Your Highness? Well, Sylvia, you may as well know the truth. I'm really the crown prince of Zelania. Oh, oh Franz. Oh, I mean Your Highness. Well, what's the matter, Sylvia? What difference does it make? Well, a plain girl in a laundry, she can't marry a prince. Marry would would you marry me? Would you, really? I can never marry you now. <laughs> Sylvia, come back. Sylvia! 
When you love somebody, what does it matter who you are? Oh, Sylvia, listen to me. For every lover must meet his friend. My
One way to measure the efficiency of our railroads is to do what the New York Times did in the editorial we were talking about a few minutes ago. That is, to compare their operations with those of the railroads of other countries. But there is another and a tougher standard by which to measure them. And that is to compare the post-war operations of American railroads with their own records in the peak pre-war year of 1939. In the year 1948, the average freight car carried the highest load of any peacetime year. Each day, this average freight car produced transportation service equivalent to moving more than 1,020 tons of freight one mile, as against less than 600 ton miles in 1939. And here's a striking fact about fuel efficiency. Last year, freight locomotives moved a ton of freight one mile on only two ounces of coal or a tablespoonful of oil when burned in a steam engine, or on a teaspoonful of oil when used in a diesel locomotive. Uh, That's a lot of figures about railroad performance, and there are many more in the records. But they all add up to just this, that the American railroads are turning out transportation service for the people of this country not only more efficiently than any other transportation system in the world, but also more efficiently than their own previous records. Our show train will return in just a moment after a brief pause for station identification. Now for Act Three of Victor Herbert's Sweetheart, starring Jane Powell, Walter O'Keefe, and your host, Gordon McRae. Yes, Snookums, a fine business. The leading politician of Zelania pressing ruffles in a petticoat. Iron! Yes, Mama, Papa is iron. <laughs> why? Come to think of it, why is Papa ironing? I'm not even Papa. I'm crazy. Iron! Iron your own petticoats. I'm getting sick and tired of this laundry. All right, then get out. All right, I will, on one condition. Anything. Tell me, Mama, which one of our daughters is adopted? You're their father. You ought to know. You know she's got a point there? You have a point there, Duchess, but I confess I am not your husband. Thank heaven. Well, then, who are you? I'm the guy who left that little baby in your tulip garden 20 years ago. And now I want her back again. She's the heir to the throne of Zelania. My little Sylvia, a princess. Well, this ought to make our gal Sylvia pretty happy. She won't have to ask the question... Can a young girl from a laundry in Belgium find happiness married to Zelania's most famous crown prince? Oh, what a surprise this is. Sylvia, Franz, come in. Yeah, come on in, kids. We got some good news for you. What kind of good news? What is it, Papa? Don't call this old windbag, Papa. He isn't your father. He isn't? No, Sylvia. You were adopted. Why? Why, then Sylvia must be the other heir to the throne of Zelania. Yep. Ain't it convenient how these things work out here? (laughs) What? Then you won't have to worry about marrying a prince, because you're a princess. Well, I I just can't believe it. Hey, kids, your highness. When the two of you get restored to the throne of Zelania, I, uh... I happen to know of an unemployed prime minister who is between engagements. Has wardrobe, will travel, doubles in brass. Oh, no. 
Not a chance, Mikel. You'll never get a job in my government. No, no, no. Our government, darling. Oh, yes. Of course, my sweet. <laughs> you know, I really think we ought to be able to find some kind of a position for a man who used to be my father. Well, all right. We'll make him third assistant secretary of agriculture in charge of corn. <laughs> now, that's gratitude for you. Franz... Yes, my princess? Sometimes, sometimes I'm an awfully moody person. Do you think you can love me, whatever mood I'm in? Oh, of course, darling. For I'll make love to you to suit your mood. The game of love has so many plays. Whenever you are pursuing, you must adapt your ways to the mood of the girl you are wooing. For instance, if I play a coquette... Then this is what you'll get. You little flirt, you're too good to be true. Trifle with me if you dare. Give me one kiss or I'll take it from you. What's that? You dare me? Well, there. But when she strikes the romantic mood... Mid-sentimental environs She must be gently wooed With the sonnets you've copied from Byron's A moonlight night, a wandering breeze And some such words as these Come, lovely maid, to some heavenly glade Neath the saloon skies There we will live on the love that is laid Deep in the depths of your eyes But suppose I find you a martial maid whose tears are ever so merry Following each parade with your heart and the gay military then I would don a uniform gay and court you in this way. As I go marching, my heart fills with joy. When my own sweetheart I see, a man surrender to your soldier boy and march away here with me. As I go marching, my heart fills with joy. Do we have to wait till we're king and queen to get married? No. Let's get married tomorrow. Tonight. Right now. Oh, I love you, my darling. Oh, my sweetheart. Oh. How do you like that for the ending of a fairy tale? Hans Christian Andersen, the Grimm Brothers, even St. Valentine. I'll give them cards and spades if they can top this one. Sweethearts make love ever young. Sweethearts can live on love
Thank you, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you very much. This is Gordon McRae saying thank you to Jane Powell, Walter O'Keefe, and Verna Felton for joining me in Sweethearts with book by Harry B. Smith, lyrics by Robert B. Smith, and music by Victor Herbert, and adapted for radio by Lawrence and Lee. Say, Walter, we, we never did get to visit Delania, did we? <laughs> Gordon, did you ever try to get a round-trip ticket to a mythical kingdom? Well, it, it's tough, you know. What's next week, Gordon? A great old favorite, Janie, Lady Be Good, starring Groucho Marx, complete with mustache and eyeglasses. And the week following, the first air performance of the Song of Norway with Marita Koshetz and members of the cast of the original operetta. We'll be listening, Gordon. Oh, at our house, we always listen to the railroad hour. Just like having a big Broadway show in your own living room. All aboard! Well, it looks as though we're ready to pull out. And so until next week, goodbye. Sweethearts has been presented by special arrangement with the Tams Whitmark Music Library. Jane Powell appeared by arrangement with Metro-Goldwyn-Mayer, producers of the Technicolor picture The Sun Comes Up, starring Jeanette MacDonald, Lloyd Nolan, Claude Jarman Jr., and Lassie. Gordon McRae appeared on this program by arrangement with Warner Brothers. This is Marvin Miller speaking. The Railroad Hour is brought to you each week at this time by 132 railroads of the United States. Each one competes keenly with others for business. But all of them work together through the Association of American Railroads for the improvement of all railroading and for better service to you. You have been listening to the Old Time Radio Hour broadcast each week over the World Wide Web. You can subscribe at no charge through iTunes, Podbean, or RSS. We're also on Google Play, Blueberry, and Stitcher. Thank you so much for listening. We hope you can join us again next week for another hour of entertainment from the golden age of radio. Until then, this is your host, Justine Ward, saying so long for now. <laughs> <laughs>